Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. You're listening to the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network, where we offer you podcasts of the supernatural and the unexplained. Get ready now for Shades of the Afterlife with Sandra Champlain. The thoughts and opinions expressed by the host are thoughts and opinions only and do not necessarily reflect those of iHeartMedia, iHeartRadio, Coast to Coast AM, employees of Premier Networks or their sponsors and associates. You are encouraged to do the proper amount of research yourself, depending on the subject matter and your needs. Hi, I'm Sandra Champlain. For over 25 years, I've been on a journey to prove the existence of life after death. On each episode, we'll discuss the reasons we now know that our loved ones have survived physical death, and so will we. Welcome to Shades of the Afterlife. Can I tell you something that I did since last I spoke with you? I got so upset this past week with some of the mediums that are out in the world that I sat in my car and I held my iPhone to my face and I recorded a 20-minute video, almost like a rant of being upset with what people are doing in the world. I don't know if you follow me on YouTube, but that's where you will find it. Back, oh, I think it's about 12 years ago, I did my very first video. I didn't intend for a single person to see it. I had sat in my car after taking myself to the movies. The movie I went to see was called 50-50. And it was supposed to be a comedy. And what it really was, was a young man who gets diagnosed with cancer, who goes into chemotherapy treatments, and many people die in the film. And it's a story of dealing with grief and loss and worry about the future I decided to go to the movies to get out of my own thoughts because I had this pressure that at that point I knew enough about the afterlife and I knew so much about grief, but I didn't want to be the one to tell people. I was really wrestling with my ego that was saying, people will think you're crazy. Don't tell anybody. Keep this to yourself. So when I went to the movies and I saw so much grief I just felt like, oh my gosh, I'm the one and I need to get this off my chest. So again, I never thought anybody was going to see this video, but I sat in my car, my eyes were teary-eyed and I did one of these, hi, I'm Sandra Champlain and this is my story. And I gave the story about my exploration into the afterlife, my fear of dying. And then when dad died and how awful that was, my relationships with my siblings falling apart, the fights, the deep depression, and the things that I learned about the afterlife. So I just felt like I needed to get it off my chest. And then a friend of mine 
had lost a loved one and I didn't have time to really share with her everything I knew. So I said, I'm going to send you this video, but just don't show anybody. And when she saw it, it gave her so much relief as far as belief in the afterlife and comfort about how grief works and how so much of it is out of our control. And it made her feel better. Well, she had a friend that had a friend pass and she asked my permission to share this video. And I said, yes, but tell them not to share it with anybody. Well, you know what happened is eventually so many people were sharing the video that I decided to just make it public on YouTube. And I think it's called Sandra Courage to Share Her Life Purpose or something like that. But it's on my YouTube channel. And I was sitting in the car, like I said, just looking at the camera, just letting it all out. And I have gotten a few emails this past week People that are absolutely at their wits end, you and I know the pain of grief and you know how much it hurts. And it is common, unfortunately, for people to think I may be better off with my loved one, not in this world. It's tough because I want to give people everything I know in an email to let them know that the afterlife is real. But you and I know that's impossible. I can do my best to point to different episodes, and here's a copy of my book, and here's some of the things I've learned, and here's some things you can experience yourself, but I just can't wrap it all up in one email. One of the things that people do is they consult a medium because they think, okay, the medium will give me some proof that my loved one has lived on. Unfortunately, there are more bad mediums in the world than there are good mediums. So there, this past week, I sat in my car, I looked into the camera, and I just expressed my disgust (laughs) with some of the mediums that are walking this earth right now. Now, I didn't use any names, but I just gave some details about what people do and what they shouldn't do. If we were diagnosed with an illness, we wouldn't just take somebody who's got the title of doctor. We would do the research, wouldn't we? And the same thing holds true with mediums. And I'm not going to go through everything I said in the video, but I certainly got a lot off my chest. Back on episode 107, I shared some of this information that's called mediums, good, bad, and the ugly, because I really think the level of mediumship needs to be raised across the world. It really does. Hopefully, I can create a list of the best mediums that are reasonably priced that offer people that 10-minute guarantee. If you're not happy in the first 10 minutes, let's talk about it. And you don't pay or you schedule another time because sometimes the energy is just not right. And sometimes that person may not be the medium for you. I mean, it just happens that way. Connecting to our loved ones can be similar to dialing in a radio station. And sometimes the connection's just not clear enough. And Who knows what the reason is? But proper mediumship, done right, can give someone life again. It's not about getting facts and figures and details about somebody's life. It's really about enough evidence and shared memories that they can't find on Facebook. And believe it or not, some mediums do that. It's terrible. If you're interested in mediumship, I always say take a class in it because when you can start to see that your soul receives information from other people, you start thinking, gosh, if that's possible, what else is possible? There's this unseen world 
there's this massive universe. We human beings, naturally, think that we are in the center of it and the universe revolves around us. Don't we sometimes? And I think actually not just hard, it's impossible to get the bigger picture of all this. We know what we experience in our daily lives as reality. But think of a fish, maybe like the Finding Nemo character that's swimming on the coral reefs on the bottom of the ocean. That fish may believe that coral reef is all there is. All it knows is the water that it is swimming in. It wouldn't know about the air we breathe. It wouldn't know about above the ocean. We are like that fish, my friend. We are living in our own coral reef. And what we see, we believe is reality. And it is for us. But there is something so much bigger. So that fish would have to get out of the water. It would have to explore space. It would have to explore quantum physics. (laughs) Could you imagine? To know that there's more to their life than meets the eye. So for you and I, how do we do that? We have to realize that there is this voice of negativity that keeps us just where we need to be. As a human, to experience life, the good and the bad, we need to be part of this game called life and be a player like the top hat on a Monopoly board. We may not know we created the game and we chose to play it. I don't think we can see the truth while we're in these shoes that we're in, or I'm wearing slippers right now. We need to do some investigation, and we need to challenge the reality that we know. Anytime we can look up at the stars or watch one of those films about the vastness of the universe or the ever-expanding universe and realize that we are so tiny in the scheme of things— Or, speaking of tiny, watch the movie, What the Bleep Do We Know? Or some of those other films you can see about the quantum level of things. Everything you look at right now, I'm looking at my kitchen table and the house and a pair of glasses. They all seem real. We can hold them and touch them. But if we were to take a tiny camera and put it in one of the atoms that are bouncing around inside these things we can see and feel. Although they're visible to the eye and we can feel them to the touch, down to their tiniest core, it's just all vibrating energy. So there is a big mystery that goes on as to how all of this vibrating energy can be stuff that we can touch. I was watching a YouTube video earlier by some atheists And someone had called in questioning, is it okay to be an atheist and believe in the afterlife? And the gentleman doing the show said, being atheist is more a disbelief in a God, but that doesn't necessarily mean a disbelief in what's possible. The fear that the gentleman had that led this show is that people who believe in the afterlife won't live a life powerfully now. There are far too many people that say, oh, someday I'll be in the kingdom of heaven and everything will be great. And they were saying, play life full out as if this is all there is. 
because there are no guarantees. For each one of us, including these guys, do the work to know what you believe in. Don't just take it from another person. Have experiences, learn. And I say that too. The whole reason to believe in the afterlife is to live a powerful life now, to know that your loved ones survive and that you will too. Is there a way for the fish to know the bigger reality of life? Is there a way for you and I to get out of our fishbowl and know that there's a bigger picture? Yes. And instead of looking outward, we can look inward and quiet our minds. There's a whole world to experience when we quiet down. If you haven't yet listened to episode 115, that talks more about quieting the mind and I give you an experiential journey that you can actually meet up with your loved ones. When we get back from the break, I'm going to play an excerpt from the New York Academy of Science. It's a team of four doctors debating the reality of near-death experiences, actual death experiences, and out-of-body experiences. This whole experience today is really to help you formulate for yourself your belief. Okay, there's work to be done, but it's an enjoyable one for sure. We'll be right back. You're listening to Shades of the Afterlife on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Don't go anywhere. There's more Shades of the Afterlife coming right up. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. The wait is over. The shy is back on Paramount Plus, and the stakes have never been higher. Everything changes on the South Side when a new threat comes to power in the Showtime original series from Emmy winner Lena Waithe. Battle lines will be drawn, alliances will shift, and danger lies around every corner, leaving everyone to wonder who they can trust. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash shot to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. Subscription auto-renews. Restrictions apply. You're listening to the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Hi, it's Dr. Sky. Keep it right here on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. 
Welcome back to Shades of the Afterlife. I'm Sandra Champlain. And on the rest of our time together, I want to share a debate that was held in the New York Academy of Sciences about near-death experiences. Pretty interesting. Some of the people on the panel are Professor of Neurology, neurologist Kevin Nelson, also a neuropsychiatrist, Peter Fenwick, there's orthopedic surgeon Mary Neal, and also an intensive care physician named Sam Parnia. Mary Neal, you may remember from episode 24. She is the spine surgeon who turned upside down in a kayak and had a near-death experience. She has a very incredible story. There are times that they're going to refer to Mary's experience. It's a pretty lengthy conference, so go back to episode 24 to hear Mary's experience. We're going to start off with Peter talking about how common are near-death experiences. Let's listen. Peter, how universal are these near-death experiences? I mean, is someone in China or Nigeria reporting basically the same kind of experiences as Americans do? They're worldwide. Um, not only are they worldwide, they've also been throughout history. And certainly as far as Western history goes, right back to the Greeks, uh, there are accounts of near-death experiences at that time. But the interesting question that's been raised is, are they the same? If you're Chinese, will you have the same experience as you would if you were American, if you were an Indian? Would it be the same? Well, no, there are cultural components. So, in fact, they're different in different countries. And the sorts of differences are fairly simple. For example, what happens in European countries in America, the fact that you go down a tunnel, that you meet a being of light, and then go into this nice English garden and have a life <laughs> review. In fact, if you were in China you'd probably do the same thing. But if you were in India, then you wouldn't. There probably wouldn't be any tunnel. You certainly wouldn't go out of your body before you go down the tunnel uh, to meet the being of light. And in primitive societies, hunter-gatherers, they're much, much simpler than that. Just to give you the flavor for it, uh, there's one well-known hunter-gatherer experience where a man died... And he got into a canoe, paddled for three days to an island. I expect it was like an English country garden. (laughs) (laughs) He stayed there, and then he paddled all the way back again. Now, that has the same sort of flavor as the near-death experience uh, as as we do today in, in Europe and America. So there are definite differences. Well, why why would certain people. cultures see the tunnel, the white light, and other cultures not? Um, I don't think it's really known. Uh, we can talk about the Indian experience because that's been studied much more. In India, they believe in uh, the god of death and he has messengers called Yamdudes. He sends his Yamdudes out to take the person and bring them back. So when you die, you're picked up by a Yamdud and you go back to where the god is and he looks in the book and sees exactly what you've done. Now, what uh, Ian Stevenson, who studied them, said is quite often the the god who's reading the book 
says, hey, you brought me the wrong person. <laughs> Take him back immediately. I didn't want that Patel. I wanted one of the other Patels. <laughs> and uh, Ian Stevenson called this um, official bungling. <laughs> so the, there are very specific cultural phenomena w- which, which do occur. During this conference, the question was brought up about atheists. And this is Kevin Nelson's response. Now, you said that atheists have these experiences. Indeed, they do. Why? why? I mean, presumably, they don't believe in angelic beings. No, they don't believe in angelic beings. Uh, We have uh, two atheists in our series. The first one, and this, if, you, if you were listening to Mary, she was very careful about what she was saying. She was talking about the interpretation of the experience as she saw it. Well, if you were an atheist, you'd interpret the experience as you see it. And our first atheist refused any sort of being in the experience. What they did was they dissolved into pure energy, and they floated through a blue environment with pure energy, They came to the light, and they had the same experience of the overwhelming feelings of love, and then the experience ended. So it was not populated in quite the same way uh, as Mary's experience was. The other one was very similar, but this time there were more people who they met, and they met dead relatives, which is very common in near-death experiences. So... uh, The fact that you don't believe anything is going to happen doesn't stop it happening. In this next part, I'd like to share with you, they get into a conversation about out-of-body experiences. So this is intensive care physician Sam Parnia speaking. But out-of-body experiences certainly have been described in cardiac arrest settings, and people seem to be able to accurately recall what was being said, what was being done. Um, And if you talk to their physicians, they will describe events that were occurring when patients were in asystole or what we call flatline. Their heart had no electrical activity. There was nothing going on. I've seen cases, which uh, one case particular that I was astonished by, where a colleague of mine told me of a patient who was not getting any kind of resuscitation, no chest compressions. The patient had been certified dead, left in the room, and they had left the person And then they noticed 20 minutes later that actually the patient looks a bit different, the heart had been restarted, uh, and the patient recalled everything, all conversations. So they do occur. Isn't the critical question whether the brain has flatlined or not? I mean, whether the the brain still has activity? One of the things that Kevin mentioned also, which I think and I agree with, is that, again, you're taking a hodgepodge of different experiences, and we're mixing it all together. So, of course, in certain cases, I absolutely agree. There are people whose brain hadn't flatlined. They hadn't even necessarily technically gone beyond the threshold of their heart stopping. But there are certainly cases where people have flatlined both from a heart perspective and from a brain perspective. And paradoxically, which we cannot explain, they are able to tell us exactly what was going on in the same way that anyone in this room would do, except the only difference is for everyone else here, their cortex, this part of the brain that we need to relay consciousness is working perfectly well. In these people, at best, their brain is fully dysfunctional or, as I said, completely flatlined. Kevin, how do you explain out-of-body experiences? There's actually very little to no controversy in the neurologic circles about out-of-body experiences. One of the remarkable things is that they're actually very common. One in 20 people are going to have an out-of-body experience in their lifetime. So 
if you look around you, you're, there's quite a few people in this room. In fact, oftentimes when I speak, people will come up to me afterwards and say, geez, I had one of those and I really told totally anybody about it. Um, so feel free to do that if you, if you choose. <laughs> um, but why are they so common? Well, first off, they happen commonly during syncope. That is simple fainting, harmless fainting. About 15% of people who faint will have an out-of-body experience during that faint. And it can be, you know, I've, I have one uh, subject who was a jet fighter pilot, and he was making a sharp turn, and he began to get syncopal, and boom, he was suddenly flying his jet from above the cockpit. Um, he actually became a neurologist after that. Um, the, um, but most of, or many of the out-of-body experiences actually happen um, when we blend weight and REM consciousness. Um, REM con there are three states of consciousness that we have. You know, we have, brain's only got three choices. It can be awake, like many of you seem to be. Um, and there's two sta conscious states of sleep. There's the non-REM sleep, and there's the REM sleep, the rapid eye movement sleep. And the hallmarks of that are profound visual activation, um, activation of the limbic system um, and our emotional, um, out-of-body experiences is actually part of the REM system. Bizarre dreams and the narrative quality of that. And, and during the REM state, we turn off an area called the temporal parietal region. Now, this is an area about here, which is important in synthesizing our experiences. It takes information from our inner ear, where we are in the gravitational field, it takes our vision, and it takes where our body sense seems to be, like where your right foot is right now. You, you didn't know that before I mentioned it, but now you're thinking about it. Well, that all comes in this one area. And if you disturb this area or turn it off, um, then, like we do in REM sleep, then you can have an out-of-body experience. But why, why would you have this sensation of you're hovering above your body looking back down on it? The, well, they're all different. You can have very many different kinds of out-of-body experiences. You can be looking from behind. There, there are none that I'm aware of where you're down below on the ground. Um, you can be off to the side. You can be behind. You can be in front. You can be on top. Um, it's very common to be um, above, and that's a question I, you know, I, I think needs you know, um, some further thought. But the important thing is, for example, Ulf Blank, a, a neurologist in Switzerland, has taken an electrode um, in this area, and he'll apply the current that's about one hundredth of a 60-watt light bulb. When he flips the switch on, boom, they're out of body. They can be above, they can be hovering behind. Turn the switch off, they're back in. So you're going up and down, kind of like the elevator out there, you know, up and down out of your body. So there are very... You know, um, and we've known this for a long time, and we've known this since the 40s when Wilder Penfield stimulated the temporal area and produced out-of-body experiences during neurosurgery. So we know that these can be done on a very non-spiritual and threatening context. In fact, when we looked at our 55 people um, with, who've had a near-death experience and, and looked at their out-of-body experience, they were as likely to have an out-of-body experience during REM intrusion, that is when REM and waking consciousness were blending, as they were to have it during the near-death experience itself. Okay, Peter, uh, do you okay. accept this explanation of out-of-body experiences? Uh, not much. <laughs> <laughs> um, and there's certain things I, I don't like about it, and there's certain things which I'll go along with.
I like how he says, do you agree? Not much. I hope you're enjoying this debate. It's nice to hear medical professionals take on it. And then also what's happening in the brain when near-death experiences occur and even how they can cause an out-of-body experience. I think that's fascinating. So I hope you enjoy this too. Let's go to the break and then we will be back to hear Peter's explanation. You're listening to Shades of the Afterlife on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Don't go anywhere. There's more Shades of the Afterlife coming right up. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. The wait is over. The shy is back on Paramount Plus, and the stakes have never been higher. Everything changes on the South Side when a new threat comes to power in the Showtime original series from Emmy winner Lena Waithe. Battle lines will be drawn, alliances will shift, and danger lies around every corner, leaving everyone to wonder who they can trust. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash shot to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. Subscription auto-renews. Restrictions apply. Thanks for listening to the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Make sure and check out all our shows on the iHeartRadio app or by going to iHeartRadio.com. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Hi, this is ufologist Kevin Randall, and you're listening to the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Welcome back to Shades of the Afterlife. I'm Sandra Champlain, and we are just about to hear from neuropsychiatrist and clinical neurophysiologist Peter Fenwick about out-of-body experiences. First of all, they are very common, and also ordinary people will have out-of-body experiences. Those, to me, aren't terribly interesting. What are interesting to me are the out-of-body experiences that you have during a cardiac arrest. Because remember I said that you have to know what the brain state was. And in cardiac arrests on the whole, we do know what the brain state is, particularly if they are in people who are in a medical facility of some sort. Now, there are a lot of accounts of these. And one would normally think, okay, the person comes out of their body and uh, 
then goes down the tunnel or something. It's not quite like that. They come out of their body and they perceive what is going on around them. Now, this is very important if your brain is not functioning. But that's the first thing which is interesting. The second thing is they can get veridical or true information of the environment around them. Now, if that is true, then it suggests that mind and brain can separate. So that's the first point. And so you have to look at these ones very carefully because there is nothing in our current science which suggests that mind and brain can separate because our science says the mind is created by the brain. So you need to look at these experiences. So the first thing is, can they get true information? The next thing about the experiences is that they don't only get information from where they are in the OR room. They get it also by going through walls and hearing conversations from other people. And if you look at the accounts, then you will see that the people whose conversations they heard when they were unconscious were in different rooms and there was no way that they could hear it. Now, that's the data. Now you have to interpret it. Well, there have been one or two attempts to do this. One of the things that people, when they come out of their body, say is that if there is an object here, you can see its top and its sides. That's all right, but you can see its bottom at the same time. Now, that's not okay. And if you um, are out of your body, you shouldn't be able to go through a wall because none of us can. So that's not okay either. So what are these people really saying? And they're one of two people who are suggesting that maybe they're in a five-dimensional reality. In other words, it's an extra dimension. That will allow you to see tops and bottoms of things and will allow you to go through walls. So it's just another way of thinking about these phenomena and just taking them for what they are and saying, okay, what actually do they mean? So although um, the standard view would be, well, I can explain this in many different ways, but if you actually just stick to the data and see what it shows, then it raises some really interesting I, questions. I want to come back to Kevin. We're sort of talking around the, the big question here. The big question is, is the mind simply a product of brain function, which is the standard scientific model right now? I mean, you know, when I've asked uh, neuroscientists, you know, how, how do you define the mind? That many of them will say, the mind is what the brain does. So, I mean, that's that's the question that's that is challenge. I mean, that's that's the the issue at stake here. It seems to me the larger philosophical and scientific question. And so, the question is: Is there any way to challenge that with sound scientific data? And I want to come back to the question of out of body experiences because Sam, I know you have been uh, the director of a uh, study called the Aware Study, which is actually trying to to check on this in some scientific way to see if there's a way to prove that the mind is more than just brain function. Do you want to tell us about your study? Before we can do that, I just need to touch back on, it's important for everyone to understand what we're talking about. I, I deal with cardiac arrests every week. Uh, I've resuscitated hundreds, if not more, of patients, and it's my bread and butter. It's what I do for a living. And the important thing which Peter was alluding to uh, is to understand that actually while there are many things that make people become very sick and their physiology is very different, and that's why I think we're talking about different things, and that's the whole point of we're comparing apples and oranges. I don't think we're all talking about the same thing. So as Kevin mentioned, when you have, at the beginning, when blood flow to the brain gets beyond a certain threshold, then the brain does not function. Now when someone's heart stops, immediately, Immediately, when there is no pumping of the heart, there is no blood, zero blood getting into the brain. And immediately, 
a patient will develop fixed and dilated pupils. They lose all of their brainstem reflexes, which is why we can put a tube into their airway and they don't gag. And their brain stops functioning completely within seconds. Now, when we do resuscitation, with the best of efforts that we make, we can only get a little bit of blood, 5% of the blood that the person has ordinarily into the brain. And that's why throughout the entire period of resuscitation, the brain remains flatlined and the pupils remain fixed and dilated. The brainstem does not function. The only cases where that may be an exception is if we have transiently restarted the heart and we lose it again. But when the heart doesn't beat, that's the case. Now, interestingly, to go to your question of consciousness, what we have is that we have many thousands, if not millions of people now, who are reporting these incredible experiences from all over the world, who, many of whom have described our doctors, our nurses, conversations of what was going on, but you cannot have a functioning cortex in this time. It's not possible. So we're left with a paradox. So this led us to put together a more definitive study, um, which we call AWARE, Awareness During Resuscitation, to try to iron out some of these issues. And part of that was to try to study the quality of oxygen getting into the brain and hopefully improve outcomes for our patients so they don't end up brain damaged. And part of it was also to try to study these recollections that people have. Now, our study has been analyzed, and we will be uh, releasing the results soon. But I can just give a little snippet, if I may, just because everyone asks us. And what we, what we have found, and this is not just my interpretation, these are experts. We have at least 20 experts from neurology to psychiatry to various fields in neuroscience to emergency medicine who have conferred the findings that essentially uh, our data suggests that these so-called out-of-body experiences, uh, at least when they occur in the cardiac arrest setting, which is why I call them visual awareness, cannot be defined as a hallucination. They cannot be defined as a hallucination. They are not consistent with what we call a hallucination. Furthermore, what we've also managed to demonstrate is that essentially when a person has died, technically the way they're defined dead, that what happens to our consciousness is that it disappears from the external view. So a bit like how you go for surgery and you're given a general anesthetic, and you may appear that your consciousness is not there, it hasn't disappeared off the face of the earth. It's just not present. And so essentially, death is not something to be afraid of. And the final point, which I think is important, and it touches on a lot of things that were said, is that actually when you talk to people after the experiences, they're expressing many different memories. Some of the people who are telling you that they had a near-death experience, they're telling you about memories that were occurring a week or two later in the intensive care unit. And so the problem I have with a lot of the studies that my colleagues were quoting here is that you're taking people who had an experience 10 years ago. Who knows really what was going on at that time? So it's very important that going forward, we study Can the I experience just interrupt of people you for one minute? cardiac arrest. I'm sorry, I'm fascinated I'm by actually. this, but I'm just, I just want to address one aspect because a couple of people have mentioned these recollections, these memories, and one of the things that... I find sets a near-death experience apart from any other experience. And I, we've all listened to many. I've listened to probably 500 stories, and we would all say the exact same thing, which is that I remember my own experience as precisely and accurately today as when it happened. And it's the experience of remembering something in the present tense. It's not recalling a memory from 10 years ago or 50 years ago. You're saying this is a, there's a different quality it to this kind of memory. It is entirely, qualitatively different from any other experience. Dream, hallucination, or big event in your life, it is a qualitatively different 
type of memory. So it's really not a recollection. And I think that's one of the things that is interesting from a physiologic standpoint, because indeed the brain cells start to disintegrate, start to burst. There's no way those brain cells are forming memories. If you look at the studies that were done trying to replicate the hallucinatory effect of a near-death experience, there are similarities when the neurotransmitters are injected, but the memory, again, is qualitatively different. It is not a near-death experience. I mean, these are not recollections. I remember the day my son was killed very clearly, but I know that if I were to tell that experience of that day every couple of years for the rest of my life, the details would change a little bit. But everyone's description of a near-death experience remains exactly the same, no matter how much time has passed. I think the memories are extremely vivid. And the reason that they're vividly recalled is because you are activating your memory system because of fight or flight. And one of the best examples, if you ever want to read, is of Dostoevsky when he went through a mock execution. He was in no danger of cardiac arrest or fainting like some of his other fellow prisoners were. But his memory for the experience, which he wrote about later, is, is, is extremely the, much The problem like with the that news. is I, in those 500 stories, have only talked to a handful of people who chose to return, and they chose to return for very specific reasons. I have not spoken to a single person who has had a near-death experience who voluntarily said, yeah, I, I want to come back. And so that speaks against the idea that it's this fight or flight, that it's some evolutionarily beneficial process because nobody wants to come back. Well, uh, no, I don't think that's true. I have a number of people who want to come back. In fact, one of the people I can think of, she has uh, married. She had a child. The child was about six months old. And uh, there was a lot of ironing to be done. And she got all the ironing in the basket, and she uh, had her cardiac arrest, and she had her near-death experience, and she went down the tunnel, met the being of light. And then there was a discussion uh, with uh, her father, who had already died, and she said, I've got to go back, because my husband can't do the ironing. I have to go back. <laughs> and that was the reason that she said. In fact, some of them do have reasons for why they come back. I think it's important, though, I think just to touch on what Mary says, and I think, Mary, you know, that's why I I strongly uh, look into calling people's experiences such as yours no longer near-death experience, because as you probably agree, medically there is no such thing as being near-death. It's a very unscientific term. My my way that I would define yours is an actual death experience. Near-death experiences, actual death experiences. I love what he said. Death is nothing to be afraid of. It's nice to see both sides of the coin being discussed here. It really is by medical professionals. We'll be right back. You're listening to Shades of the Afterlife on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Stay right there. There's more Sandra coming right up. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. 
Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. The wait is over. The shy is back on Paramount Plus, and the stakes have never been higher. Everything changes on the south side when a new threat comes to power in the Showtime original series from Emmy winner Lena Waithe. Battle lines will be drawn, alliances will shift, and danger lies around every corner, leaving everyone to wonder who they can trust. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash TheShot to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. Subscription auto-renews. Restrictions apply. The Art Bell Vault never disappoints. Classic audio at your fingertips. Go now to coasttocoastam.com for full details. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. This is afterlife expert Daniel Brinkley, and you're listening to the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Welcome back to Shades of the Afterlife. I'm Sandra Champlain. This actually sounds like the beginning of a joke. We've got a neuropsychiatrist, an orthopedic surgeon, professor of neurology, and a critical care doctor. (laughs) Well, they're discussing near-death experiences, actual death experiences, and out-of-body experiences. Next, they went to the audience for some questions. Unfortunately, They did not record the questions, but there's some really good words in the answers that they gave. So we can use these as some closing statements from these doctors. Those of us who are actively involved in the field of cardiac arrest, who who also work with so-called near-death or what I call actual death experiences, uh, we we consider that um, there's enough to make us want to pursue this question more, that consciousness may continue when the brain is not functioning, when we've gone beyond the threshold of death. I spent many months trying to come up with an alternative explanation. But no, the water wasn't cold, I wasn't young, we were in the middle of a very inaccessible river in the middle of southern Chile. At the end of spending many months collecting data, my conclusion was that my experience absolutely was outside the boundaries of science and outside the boundaries of medicine. There were no explanations I could find. One of the things I've been doing is studying death. In fact, what is the process of death? How do we die? And so we've got two things here. We've got the near-death experience with the going down the tunnel being of light, the special area that you go into, and only in cardiac arrest, only do it in cardiac arrest. So that tells us then that there is something very special going on. And if you look at death itself, one of the things you find, as you come closer and closer and closer towards death, a whole lot of the phenomena that you see in the near-death experience start occurring to the people who are dying. For example, they see dead relatives who come into the room. 
as they go on to the next stage, they exist in two realities. They exist in the reality which is uh, full of light and love and spiritual beings and dead relatives. Then they're back in the hospice. Then they go back to the other reality again. Then they're back in the hospice. And so as the whole consciousness fragments, what seems to come through uh, in the dying is this other reality. But, but Peter, if sort I, of cross validation. But if I can interject, I mean, the question was, can science yes, get a can. handle on this? I yeah, mean, it, can, can you go beyond the the subjective, however extraordinary, yes. the subjective stories? I mean, can can using the tools that we have at the disposal of science right now, can they verify this? Well, I'm sure that one of the things we could do is to start putting people who are dying in scanners. So we can actually see what their brains are doing, but I'm not sure that this would pass many ethics committees. <laughs> so, Sam, you were saying that science can definitively test this. I think, yeah, I think the ladies asked a very interesting question, and I think that the, the point we have to remember is that at any given era, you know, scientists will set sort of boundaries for what knowledge that is known at that time. And things work within that boundaries, but always there are things that don't quite fit in there. And many times, most scientists will ignore that, They'll try to stick to the framework that they have because it's more comfortable. And they'll continue researching that area. And then sometimes you have to go and look beyond. So what we have right now is certain phenomena that are challenging our worldview, and we have to be able to explore them. So I think to be able to explore this, you know, the question essentially that you're, I think you're asking is, can we test somehow scientifically the idea that consciousness, and by consciousness, I want to be clear, what we're talking about is what the Greeks called the psyche or the soul, that thing that makes us who we are. It's just a scientific term for me, for the self. Can we test whether that can be separate from brain function? Right. And so I think one area to do this is looking at um, times where, whether we like it or not, the brain has to be shut down. One of those is when the heart stops and there's inadequate blood getting into the brain. So we could continue the sorts of studies we've started with the AWARE study. But another area which is perhaps more controlled is um, looking at certain groups of patients who have to go for surgery where their only option is to have their body cool down to such an extent, basically to 18 degrees Celsius, which is around 60 degrees Fahrenheit, that their brain also flatlines. The brain cannot function. There's no circulation at all. And to study whether consciousness continues or stops. So if, obviously, if when the brain doesn't function, consciousness also completely stops, and there is no element of that, then that suggests that consciousness must be produced from the brain. If, on the other hand, you can get reports of people who can accurately have awareness, they can see things or hear things, and we can validate those claims, then clearly that suggests that consciousness may be functioning uh, independent of the brain. Actually, one of the things that we did find in our AWARE study is that this is the first documented case of somebody who we can verify that they had consciousness at least during a three to five minute period when the brain would not have been functioning rather than, so we've timed it, rather than when the brain was coming back online. But you can do that because you can give patients, say, who are having surgery and whose brain has shut down, certain stimuli at certain times. And then if they can recall them, you know that it was occurring when the brain had flatlined. You also can give them stimuli when the brain has come back online. So you can distinguish when the consciousness or activity of the mind or psyche or soul or whatever term you want to use it is going on. What is interesting is that for me, the near-death experience is one of our ways or one of the roads by which we can understand consciousness. So therefore, it should tell us something about human consciousness and it should be central and it's very important. Can we get funding for it? No. 
<laughs> so this means that one of the most important sets of experiences that we need to do, we can't actually do. In fact, Sam and I put in a grant to one of the uh, European institutions, and the idea was to put cards on the ceiling so that the people, when they had their cardiac arrest, could see the cards and report. And they came back and they said, brilliantly designed study, you can do it, no cards on the ceiling. Now that, of course, really... Uh, altered exactly That's what true. we wanted to do. So if there is more money about, then we can do it properly. And so that's really what we have to do. But I think things are changing a little bit. No, in general, I agree with Peter on this. Um, and I, one of the sad things is that despite the great general interest, despite the media interest in this topic, um, there's no funding institution interest, you know. <laughs> People don't die of near-death experiences, so there's not, you know, it's so it's, it's hard. Um, you know, I submitted an NIH grant, and I could tell from the reviewers' comments that they didn't even know where to, what section, what study <laughs> section to put this grant in. Um, and the same with uh, private foundations as well. It's, it's really unfortunate because really there's a lot more science and work that really could be done. The other problem, though, is I think it's very difficult just even in collecting those stories because, first of all, in my experience, most people do not want to talk about it with increased awareness of near-death near experiences. More and more people are beginning to feel comfortable mentioning it, but the vast majority of people, if they mention it at all, they mention it to their spouse or their parent or someone and they're immediately shut down, and they never talk about it again until they share that experience with me or someone else uh, who, who would understand them. And so I think the first problem is actually having people tell you their story. The second problem, even with the idea of putting the cards, which on the surface sounds like a brilliant idea, I will tell you that from my personal experience, I probably would have come back and not been able to discuss yeah. the cards because I think that's it old was technology totally now. unimportant. Yeah. I, um, I would never have even thought twice about taking those notes, partly because I had no intention of coming back. And so I think <laughs> it's very difficult to design a study like that that would prove this out-of-body out of consciousness. You can develop a technique called lucid dreaming. Um, and in REM sleep, um, you turn off the dorsolateral prefrontal area of your brain, and that's where most of our executive function takes place. And if you don't turn that off, then looks like we can have lucid dreaming, where you're, you have insight that you are actually in a dream. Normally, we lose that insight as part of the, the, the usual aspect uh, of sleep. But you can train yourself to have lucid um, dreams, and during lucid dreams are often um, out-of-body experiences because you're simultaneously turning off the temporal parietal area. What happens if we take the veridical near-death out-of-body experiences as, in fact, being a correct uh, reflection of reality? Now, of course, as soon as you get into quantum mechanics, then the whole pattern changes enormously. The whole idea of us being separate is uh, something that quantum mechanics doesn't recognize. We're all connected. And so I think that the ideas of near-death experience and the relationship to physical theories of mind is very important. I think it's always good to have a debate. See both sides of an argument. 
whether it's near-death experiences or anything related to life and the afterlife. But I can tell you one thing. Out of the millions of people who have had near-death experiences, I think it'd be very hard to convince them that it would be something other than what they experienced, seeing their deceased loved ones, seeing things happening in different rooms, having that experience of God or the light and unconditional love, coming back, remembering the experience so vivid, even if it happened 20, 30, 40 years ago. Most of them want to serve mankind and make the earth a different place. What is it going to take for you to find the answers in your life, to give you your values and what's important? I certainly will offer you my opinion in now 119 episodes of Shades of the Afterlife, and I just hit 390 episodes of We Don't Die Radio. While there may not be funding for near-death experience research, and while I may not receive funding for my journey of discovery, passion is important. So I ask you, what is going to make your life meaningful? Like the doctor said in this episode, death is nothing to be afraid of, but go live your life. Find your passion, make a difference, have some fun, and for God's sakes, smile. Please come visit us at our home base, wedontdie.com. Join us for a live event. We'd love to see you. I'm Sandra Champlain. Thank you for listening to Shades of the Afterlife on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. And if you like this episode of Shades of the Afterlife, wait until you hear the next one. Thank you for listening to the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. The wait is over. The shy is back on Paramount Plus, and the stakes have never been higher. Everything changes on the South Side when a new threat comes to power in the Showtime original series from Emmy winner Lena Waithe. Battle lines will be drawn, alliances will shift, and danger lies around every corner, leaving everyone to wonder who they can trust. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash shot to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. Subscription auto-renews. Restrictions apply. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you. And how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com.